Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening wherever you are, and welcome to Chicken Soup for the White Boy's Soul. My name is Denver Crawford, and this podcast is a closer look into my personal journey of healing through conversation. As someone who identifies primarily as a white male, I am responsible for educating myself on how to unlearn my implicit racism and the ways in which the American and global systems have contributed to a false view of myself and other people. I am attempting to create that space here on the podcast by inviting voices from all walks of life to a conversation, one aimed at learning. Too many of us are using social media and the internet at large as a placeholder for actual conversation and individual action. Here you will witness conversations that are awkward, frustrating, cathartic, confusing, but most of all, positive. I have done my best not to edit anything out of these conversations. They are real and they are honest. Editing in order to appear more intelligent or well-spoken would be against the entire idea of this thing. While this is a place I've created out of a personal need, I would like to believe that you, listener, whoever you are, might find solace and encouragement from these conversations with friends and family. If there is anything you'd like to comment on, a missed opportunity, an incorrect term, or more opportunities for learning, I encourage you to send all communications to whiteboyssoul at gmail.com. The conversation you're about to hear is between myself and my childhood best friend, Olivia Mullen. The tone of this episode is a little different from others, and I have a few ideas for why that is. It starts out in a much more relaxed and perhaps cautious way. Being two white people who come from very white backgrounds, there is an unconscious resistance to having conversations about race. It takes a moment for us to totally ease in. Once the ball is rolling, we manage to scratch the surface of American military life in relation to white supremacist systems, communism, and even Avatar The Last Airbender. I think some of the easiest perceptions to have about conversations like this one is that there's not enough being said, or there's too much of this or too little of that. I'll preface this episode with a question. Do conversations about race need to be entirely engaging to be effective? Press record, and here we are. Hello. Uh, Hello. This is my dear friend, my best friend, uh, since we met in seventh grade. Uh, eighth grade. Eighth grade? Okay. I feel like it was seventh, though. I didn't move to the coast until eighth grade. Oh, okay. So. Well, this is my best friend since eighth grade, Olivia, <laughs> Mary and Olivia Joy Mullen. Yeah, all the names. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and you are now currently, I live in New York, you live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, mm-hmm. Give 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 the people a little background about who you are and what you do. Um, well, currently I am unemployed due to COVID nineteen, but I run my own little um, art business, which is like slowly growing, which is kind of exciting. Um, I grew up military brat, so I kind of have um, homes all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mostly in the U.S., but I lived in England for a while. Um, you know, went to college. Now just kind of trying to figure out this thing called life, just like everybody else. Mm. In the middle of a pandemic and the yeah. world coming to an end. So yeah, that's that's me. And it's just it's some trying times right now. Um, and so to 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 start off. Let's start with answers. What what truth or answer do you bring to the table today? Um, I was trying to think of something like super profound, but uh, <laughs> really all I have is that most of us are trying to fight for the same thing right now. And um, there's a lot of different ways that people want to go about doing that. But I think the important thing to remember is to try not to be sectarian um, Mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, if people have different approaches to achieving the goal that we're all trying to achieve, just kind of like, you know, understand that we're all trying to get there, but um, don't tear people down for trying to do it differently. Yeah. 
I was that that goes I I said some or I heard something the other day that I want to echo which is uh you know there are definite ways to do something wrong like what's yeah. going on right now there's there's a bunch of wrong ways to do things but there's mm-hmm. a million right ways um yeah. so yeah um my my answer today is that th- this is just something that I've just had to be thinking about a lot recently uh coming from the queer community is that 15 transgender or non-confirming uh people uh non-gender conforming people have been violently either shot or died by some other violent means jumping in here to say at the time of recording the number was 15 within a month's time that number has grown to at least 22 saying at least because there are many deaths of trans women that often go unheard and or misrepresented. Uh, in 2020 alone. Uh, last year, the number was 27. Um, and I, I don't remember the years prior, but that's just, I've, I've been ruminating on the list of names of the 15 people that have died this year um, mm-hmm. as a result of, you know, very violent means um yeah that's that's just my answer uh, may not have anything to do with what we talk about but let's get into the conversation do you have do you have questions today or should i give you some questions uh i don't have any prepared so maybe you should <laughs> sure i mean <laughs> let's let's start back in um what you said about being a military brat and mm-hmm. uh you have homes all over the place you traveled before a lot of kids got to travel you know you have a little bit more of a worldly experience which i think lends to you being a much more kind and loving human um, which is why i love you um but um pocosin specifically uh (laughs) what did that teach you about yourself and your identity as a white person um I've I've been thinking about kind of how my upbringing moving all over the place and, you know, like experiencing different areas all over the United States, mostly through the lens of like the military um, and how like each place was different, like specifically Pocosin. (laughs) And I kind of like, Pocosin wasn't um, different in that it was predominantly white and not very um, diverse mm-hmm. at all. And that's kind of how my experience was in almost every other place that I lived, which I didn't really realize that until I have you know, recently kind of started thinking back. Um, because for a long time, I tried to use, you know, well, I've lived all over the place. I've, I've met a bunch of different people. I, you know, I've, I've been exposed to all these different things, but like, not really. Like I, I was predominantly on military bases, which are, you know, very white most of the time. I was living in very, you know, conservative, um, mm-hmm. middle-class neighborhoods, um, going to middle-class schools um that weren't always the most diverse and so thinking about Pocosin specifically I think it stands out a little bit because I was older and I could kind of like see it a little bit clearer and there I was only there for a short time but I know that the history of Pocosin has some pretty Mm -hmm. um specific things regarding the KKK and Mm. um segregation. Pocosin's got a really so, interesting history that I should probably I'll do some research and interject right here with a brief history of like why Pocosin came to be. This is all you need to know about Pocosin. Pocosin became an incorporated town in 1952. For context, this is the same year Brown versus Board of Education is first taken to the court. 
The reason given for this change was that the citizens of the community wanted to keep their own high school open instead of having their children bust to York High School due to distance. When the town was incorporated, Pocosin's small, predominantly African-American community, known as Cary's Chapel, remained just outside the town limits in York County. That's what it says on paper. Live there your whole childhood, and you know it was about segregation. Um, <laughs> good, good idea. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, what, what we can tell right now, because um, the community of Pocosin is actually pretty mixed in terms of political views. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my father came here to work for NASA, NASA Langley, and um, there's a lot of people who live in Pocosin but work outside of Pocosin, and a lot of those families tend to, you know, lean more left, and a lot of the people who are born and raised in Pocosin and stay in Pocosin their entire lives lean more towards the right. And um, I think what the conversations I've been having recently with people regarding, you know, this this binary that we've created between left and right and conservative and liberal and all of these, uh, you know, these lines that we've drawn, um, mm-hmm. it you know, it's very cultural. A lot of people lean towards whatever their parents were. And, you know, uh, I think a big thing is, you know, the people who are more well-traveled, the people who have experienced more of the world outside their own backyard tend to uh, lean more left, and the people who stay at home and the people who don't tend to leave lean more right. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's, just, that's just an interesting thing. Do you think, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I agree for the most part. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that people in my, you know, situation being in the military, being like growing mm-hmm. up in the military, I don't think that we are like, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to understand, um, yeah. you know, certain realities because you travel. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a layer of kind of, um, American exceptionalism and American like mm. superiority, which ties in with like white supremacy, all Absolutely. that is kind of like layered <laughs> into <laughs> military, um, a military upbringing. Um, That's that a really good, really get talked about a lot. Yeah. So, we'll talk about yeah. that for a second because I think the key word here is white supremacy. Uh, yeah. You know, I've been, I've been having a lot of conversations and, um, uh, white privilege comes up a lot, racism comes up a lot, and, you know, I'm not a racist, I don't believe in white privilege, or I believe I have white privilege, you know, we can talk around these things, but we don't, I don't hear enough people really talking about the existence of white supremacy and their individual parts and, like, either perpetuating those ideas or or coming to terms, you know, understanding that white supremacy still is benefiting you like it's currently benefiting us in a myriad of ways that you know if we really sit down and unpack it it's like the reason that white people have privilege is because of white supremacy these ideologies and um this kind of way of thinking that you know is just so backward and it's and the fundamental concept of it which is like i am superior simply because of the skin i was born in yeah. So I, I think, yeah, I want to hear you um, reflecting on that and like your life in the military. What were kind of some, this American exceptional, exceptionalism you mentioned and that that's relation, it's relation to white supremacy. Do you have any, anything you can speak on in terms of personal experience or anecdote? Well, I mean, I think that the uh, American exceptionalism is like, it's not just a you know military thing, but because the military is such a um, like symbol for America and like freedom and the troops and like all this stuff, it's just like a symbol of what everybody thinks makes America great. Hmm. Um, but a lot of the um, it's like so complicated because it's just like ingrained in like every aspect of life. So like starting with 
starting with like education and like just living in living surrounded by um, the constant reminder that you're American and like, um, you mm. know, well, I have a more specific question, which is, okay, yeah. do you, do you have a remembering, do you remember a time where you kind of had to confront the idea that, you know, the military that you grew up to, that that was, I'm sure you felt that the military was exceptional and then had to come out of that at some point. Um, when did, when did you become disillusioned to the fact, or when did you suddenly recognize that the military life had taught you certain things that you've since had to unlearn? Um, I don't know if there was like a specific instance, but I didn't really come to kind of accept that or start to unpack that until I was in college. Mm. Um, And I don't really know what it was that, that shifted that. I think just, you know, being exposed to different, like Penn State's not the most diverse school, but <laughs> there were, you know, people from other countries there and just kind of like slowly learning, you know, that how other people view America and mm-hmm. how they view things that we've done that we haven't necessarily learned about. Um, my dad was deployed mm-hmm. twice. Um, well, he's been deployed multiple times, but he was deployed for about a year when I was in high school um, and then was deployed again when I was in college for about uh, eight months Mm -hmm. um, and kind of just learning like little bits and pieces, the things that he wasn't, he wasn't really open about it, but um, just kind of learning his experience and Mm -hmm. versus like, you know, people who live in those countries Mm -hmm. and like how they view us and, our involvement and just kind of realizing like, Hey, maybe we don't need to be as hands-on in these countries as, you know, America says we do because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, we're protecting our freedom or like we're, um, you know, trying to help those people by establishing democracy when like, we don't even really know, like we're not even privy to like know how the people actually feel about these things. And if the people there want to be, you know, in control of how they grow that democracy or not, mm-hmm. um, you know, knowing whether or not, like, America really does need to be involved yeah. in that. Have, have <laughs> um, those conversations, that. have those conversations been difficult in your family? Um, I haven't really talked to my family or my parents much about this subject in particular because my dad is still in the military Mm -hmm. uh, technically and Mm -hmm. um, I know that he's become very very jaded (laughs) so I think once he officially retires which is like next month um, we can start to actually have these so yeah (laughs) really have these like deeper conversations but right now it's kind of like well hands off on that but we've Mm -hmm. been having other you know conversations like about everything going on but the military in particular, not quite yet. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Well, that, that speaks to, I mean, do you talk to your sisters or your mom about it? Because I know, I know conversations happen between siblings and yeah. things all the time. But is that just something that your family doesn't talk about because it would be kind of breaking, you know, towing a line? Um, I think we've, like, kind of scratched the surface a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um with my mom, I've had, you know, I've mentioned things tying in the issue of police brutality right now with, like, uh, imperialism and, you know, kind of the unhealthy relationship we have with um, troops and police and all these institutions that Americans kind of worship and hold on to. Um, so it's been brought up, but not necessarily... Um, gone into detail. I know I've had conversations with my sister Katie um, a little bit more in detail and she's she's kind of on a, a different level than my parents are. She's a little bit more receptive and <laughs> kind of like understands. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little bit easier to have those conversations with her but 
because um, we, you know, mm-hmm. had the same experience. So it's like a little bit easier to relate and kind of unpack those things with someone that has a shared experience. Yeah. Um, I'm just yeah. really interested in that thinking just about the potential for those conversations to happen because, you know, I think mm-hmm. what, you, what you're saying, you're talking about police brutality and kind of tying that in with everything. The police are kind of the at-home military. And there, yeah. there are parallels that you can draw between, you know, the people, the, the military defending us in other countries or, you know, defending the idea of freedom in other countries mm-hmm. and, you know, the police we have at home who are uh, in full battle armor right now uh, fighting protesters. But it does, and and what we're seeing with a lot of police is like this unwillingness to confront oneself and one's position in the larger system. Um, mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I just think I think it's time that we learn from each other how to how to talk to people about you know what do you idolize why. Why, 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 um, what place does the military hold for you that you can't see the corruption there? What, what places police do the police hold that, you know, you're unwilling to see the corruption there? And just by extension, America, like what Mm -hmm. idea, what ideas have we been given of America, um, that let so many people cling to you know, everything that it's supposed to represent and then just shove all of the, you know, really terrible history and violent shit that America yeah. also <laughs> contains. Not not to yeah. say that America doesn't have, um, you know, wonderful things about it, but it's like people want to only remember the good and it, it, how do we how do we get people to talk about like, Hey, there's some good, but we need to understand. Yeah. There's a lot wrong here still. I mean, I think it's like pretty symbolic that like all these statues are coming down. Because mm-hmm. that's like literally, you know, the thing that it's like a physical representation of these things that like people just can't let go of or like ha- it's like this object that is just this like unreal thing idea that people hold on to and believe in um and then when they're being taken down it's like well what you know like i don't understand like i I put this value on this thing because it's something that like i was told that i believe in but then as soon as it comes down it like is really uncomfortable and scary because it like shakes things up a little bit but Mm -hmm. i think it's like you know it's like a weird symbolic actual event that's happening to like represent what is you know systematically happening at the same time which is kind of interesting people people always say you know don't ever meet your heroes they're not they'll never be as good when you meet them in person and you know all these statues that are supposed to rep you know people don't make statues of the losers you make statues of the the supposed heroes of history Mm -hmm. and to be confronted with the image of you know your heroes falling is mm-hmm. definitely has to be doing something to the psyche of anyone who wants to view um, those statues as, you know, heroic. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, oh, go on. No, I was just going to lead to another question, which is, you know, about images. We, you, as a film uh, person, filmmaker, um, film aficionado, uh mm-hmm. You started this group between you, me, and our three other closest friends where we're just watching uh, films that maybe we haven't seen before or films that are, you know, relevant to what's going on right now in America. And that's your way of kind of processing and starting your own conversation. So I just want to ask what what does image mean to you and what kind of images are you trying to um put out there um well like you said image is like super important to me i i went to school for film for people who didn't know that (laughs) at penn state Um, university yeah (laughs) yes i'm not using that degree but (laughs) it's a thing uh 
yeah, no, I just like I have always really connected to film as a way of expressing mm -hmm. yourself and expressing, you know, um, stories. And it was it's one of the easiest ways for me to learn and kind of relate to other people um, because we all can watch one thing and like get different things out of it just based off of our, you know, different experiences and different perspectives. Um, and I just think that's really interesting. And I love to connect with people by watching something and discussing it. And I just felt like um, this, everything going on, I wanted to be able to kind of connect with the people that I love most and continue to grow and um, learn together in a way that I is like really tangible for me. Um, so I just decided to kind of have all of you guys um, watch documentaries or TV shows or, you know, whatever. You might end up start reading books. I don't know. But <laughs> in regards to the image, um, watching these things and then discussing them um, in, in more detail in regards to, you know, what's going on right now so that we know that we're kind of keeping each other accountable, um, learning from the images that we see and kind of because right now I think everything that's happening is because people are seeing things now mm -hmm. um, you know this isn't a new thing like people have there's been pictures and videos of the horrible injustices that people of color yep. have had to deal with since you know the beginning like there's paintings of for Columbus and all of his people like doing horrible shit there's you know it's not a new thing, but, you know, thinking about victims of racism and police brutality and, like, those images um, kind of have a, a better opportunity to be seen by a lot more people and not necessarily wake people up, but kind of just expose the um, that it's happening and that black people and brown people are not lying about these things happening. Um, mm. I think is really, really yeah important. <laughs> and one of the things that um, I've, you know, if, if anyone's listened to the first episode, Dr. T, um, one of her many idioms is consciousness is temporary. Um, mm. You know, we'll always fall asleep again. We'll always we're always forgetting things. And so it's up to us to continually remind ourselves of what's important because, you know, you can't stay awake forever. You're going to have to like take a rest at some point mentally. And, but it's like, when you wake back up again, what are you going to remember first? What are the things that you're going to continually make sure that you are conscious of? And yeah, it's been frustrating um, since my kind of awakening of consciousness, which was, these videos that you know we have been resurface have been surfacing since Facebook came out and you yeah. could go live and especially the death of Philando Castile which was broadcast yeah. on Facebook live he was shot in his own car reaching for his wallet and his daughter was in the back seat with his partner in the front and you know that was a moment of consciousness for me where i was like i can never forget this I cannot allow myself to forget this. And I feel like, mm. you know, hopefully what this is doing right now where we're in the middle of the riots is this will sear an image or two yeah. into the consciousness of Americans. And, you know, this can be a moment where we look back on and remember it for what it is. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um and the crazy thing about images, too, is, like I said, it's not a new thing. So it's doc like there's documented periods of time that kind of reveal like a pattern of events. Mm -hmm. um, so like everything that's happening right now, I've seen <laughs> like see watching it. things about like the L.A. riots or like mm -hmm. the riots during the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Like it all feels like it's happening right now because it's all happened before and it's mm -hmm. you know people were saying the same things back then so like i think it kind of points to a deeper issue than just the police yeah or just um you know a few bad apples in the police because it's a, 
obviously a systemic thing. It keeps happening. Mm -hmm. You know, I do want to say it is important that like the goal right now is absolutely like, let's fix the police. Um, (laughs) There, there've been some really great memes going around about, you know, um, people not being able to stay on top of, you know, SpongeBob apparently now belongs to the LGBTQ community. Like people started releasing that for pride month and everyone's just like, are you forgetting what's happening right now? Like we're, we're yeah, suffering okay. at the hands of police violence and like black lives matter. And yeah. you're going to make SpongeBob a gay character. <laughs> it's like, you're detracting. We're, we're going off in a yeah. different direction. Let's uh, stay focused on what needs to happen. But you know, not everyone agrees on what needs to happen, but yeah. So, so I applaud what you're doing in your own way um, of, you know, trying to, uh, look at more images that um, reflect a history that we weren't taught growing up in mm-hmm. Pocosin, <laughs> going to school yeah. in Pocosin, having, you know, were you taught a the very, a very uh, avid Reagan fan as our U.S. history teacher? Yeah, we can't name names, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my question. My next question, I want to ask you where you are in your journey personally toward unpacking, you know, these images, this history that you've been Mm -hmm. given and how, what steps are you taking now and what steps do you look forward to in this journey of really understanding your history beyond what you were given? Um... I'm, I mean, I'm just continuing to try to educate myself as much as I can. Um, you know, watching these documentaries, mm-hmm. watching these movies made by, um, you know, black and brown filmmakers, actually being able to tell their stories, um, not through the lens of, you know, white producers. Um, reading, you know, um, just kind of trying to do all the, you know, basic easy things that I can do on my own. Mm-hmm. And then also... Um, I'm part of a political party that is working within, um, my community at the moment, trying to organize, you know, the current movement, um, and just make connections within the community. We've been working with the community, um, in predominantly communities of color around the prison in our city, um, Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, fight for the rights of prisoners and, um, just try to make connections all throughout the city of Lancaster. Um, just trying to help foster this movement and help, you know, people see, um, you know, help me learn, you know, since I didn't mm-hmm. grow up in a very diverse community, you know, mm-hmm. learn their experiences one-on-one and like make those personal connections. And then also help um, in any tangible way that I can organize and foster this movement that is just like naturally happening because of mm-hmm. everything going on. Yeah. So, I mean, that also leads me to a question. Do you want to name the political party that you're? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm part of the party of socialism and liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a national organization that has, it's made up of all working class people, um, working in communities all over the country. Um, Basically, we believe that our country should be, um, you know, providing the human rights and human needs for every person in this country, and that that is a valuable Mm -hmm. thing to fight for. Um, And so we are, and that's not going to happen by, Mm -hmm. we don't believe it's going to happen by just, uh, you know, reform. It needs to be understood by the people and when the people understand, you know, collectively their power, mm-hmm. that things can actually change and, yeah. you know, they will have the power because they're the working people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I think it is an interesting thing to bring up just in context of conversation because, you know, I have a lot of questions. I don't belong yeah. to this political party. I see you fighting people on Facebook on the daily who are like, <laughs> you're just a communist bastard who wants yeah, this. Yeah. Communism doesn't work all these things. And, you know, while Mm. I can have my own opinions about like, you know, historical communist 
regimes and you know the the main thing is well it would work now um going back to an earlier question what mm-hmm. what issues do you see within your own party do you see do you see those issues or is is this party still kind of like a glorified thing for you is the party like, you know what when, issues when, do i see within the party yeah well again or in general in general um like balancing the good and the bad understanding that there is a lot of good here and that's definitely what you're following you're following these yeah and i can i can look at what you're doing and say the the acts and the marches that you're doing against prison um or for prison reform and all of these things are like wonderful things um i'm i'm wondering if there is anything that you see that might be troubling with the like, like underneath the, the umbrella of mm-hmm. things, yeah. Have um, you look? Have you tried? Have you taken time to look at the oh, problems that like, might exist? I have not always been on this train of thought. Like I am still, um, you know, yeah, unpacking things in my own time because I, I obviously grew up very conservative and very, um, you know. Yeah. You know, just not of this mindset. So there's still things that I'm working through on my own, and I'm I'm I have my convictions. Um, specifically, like overall, I I I know that the party has its like it's a it's a process and it's a structure, just like everything else that people do. And so there's going to be um, disagreements, and there are disagreements within the party. It's not you know like a somebody says something and everyone's like okay, it's you know. I don't agree with everything that we do. Um, specifically in Lancaster, there's only four of us, and we've been really struggling to kind of, um, especially during COVID, like <laughs> connect with the working class, diverse community when, um, you know, we can't really even go outside right now. And it's been really, you know, just trying to work within a small group the dynamic can is very different than when you're working within one of the bigger branches. Mm-hmm. So kind of just like understanding each other, understanding mm-hmm. that we are all working for the same thing um, can be a struggle sometimes. But yeah, do you overall, have like, yeah. Yeah. And this is also this stemming from the same thing. Do you have personal lines where you, you know, draw, you draw for yourself, boundaries draw for yourself, because I feel like a lot of what's happening in America is people have started to draw lines um, Mm -hmm. around the party. You know, and, and, you know, I'm a Republican, therefore I must vote this way. And, you know, vote blue. Everyone's everyone's got their own um, lines that they're drawing for themselves personally, but... I'm, I'm wondering, especially within the communist or socialist, I, I don't yeah. even know the right terminology to use because okay. I wish I was more educated. But, you know, <laughs> I know images that I have in my brain of what that means is a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, towing the line that the party sets, that the, uh, that, you know, those things that are set. are Is there room for you as an individual to set your own boundaries, do you think? And what does that look like? Yeah, definitely. Like the party is not... You know, I've been, they give, okay, so I'm just going to, like, <laughs> Go. explain a little process real fast. Go ahead. Um, so you don't just, like, join the party, mm-hmm. um, and then you're in it, and you do whatever they tell you to do. They, It's, like, a, a process to, like, one, make sure that you understand what the party is and what they're doing, and if you agree with it. And then also, like, if you are, you know, decide if you're an actual fit for the party and what they're working towards, they, like, give you that time. Like, I spent six months mm-hmm. taking classes, like, educating myself, learning up on what they believe, what they're working for, and, you know, deciding for myself, working through, like, my own um, ideas of what communism is and, you know, kind of decoding what I think versus, like, what's actually happening um and it sounds a little bit like church too yeah yeah for sure um 
And, you know, like I said, I don't always agree with things, but I ultimately um, really value and believe in what they are trying to do. Mm. And so I will uh, work with them. But if I, you know, decide, hey, I don't agree with this anymore, I just, I don't do that and I leave. <laughs> you know, like, do it's you not have, like, if you don't agree with something, do you have to leave the organization? I mean, it depends on what it is. Okay. Um, like yeah. if, if they're planning a demonstration or something, yeah. um, and I don't want to go to the demonstration, I don't have to go. It doesn't mean I don't mm-hmm. like, like, don't leave the party, you know, mm-hmm. I just don't do that thing. But I am also not going to down, like, I'm not going to disown that thing mm-hmm. to other people who aren't in the party who don't understand. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like I have. I, I do have my own choice, mm-hmm. but it's not like I, the idea is like, we're all working together for the same goal. Like I said this, I think at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, um, we're all working together for the same thing. And if I just, if I don't agree with one thing or like how we are going about one thing, but I ultimately agree with what the end goal is, mm-hmm. then I'm okay with kind of like putting my own um, issues aside to continue to support that. If it's something huge that I'm like, this goes against everything that <laughs> I believe, mm-hmm. then I'm just, I have no problem stepping away from it entirely. Yeah. But I have not been faced with that yet. Okay. Ever, all of my issues with um, the party has been kind of me getting, like stepping out of my comfort zone, being like, I'm uncomfortable doing that because I've never done that before more than just like, I don't, I don't agree with that because mm-hmm. it goes against who I am. It's just, it's like kind of pushing me to be more involved and more, um, you know, kind of carving away at the pre, I don't know, <laughs> the word, like things that I, yeah. I believe about myself that aren't necessarily truth. Okay. And kind of, you know. Well, can you give me a truth about yourself? What is? I mean, there's a lot. Just (laughs) just give me one about you. Um, I love people. I would agree with that. (laughs) My goal, and even though some people might not understand how I'm going about it, um is to give people true freedom in the sense that they aren't scared to just exist. And they have the comfort of being able to survive without the fear of oppressive forces in their life. Um, It's an interesting... I Yeah, and I think while that... Um, you know, we want to give each other freedom. Yeah. Ultimately, I I think that's an admirable thing to want to give someone else freedom. But, um, I think we do have to watch, and this is where white supremacy comes in, how we Mm -hmm. think we're giving freedom. And I'm going to go into a short little anecdote about Avatar The Last Airbender because (laughs) I'm rewatching that series during quarantine. But, um... You know, Prince Zuko has this awakening after leaving the Fire Nation, which is this really authoritarian, um, imperialist government. Um, Mm -hmm. And their whole mission is bringing the wealth and prosperity of the Fire Nation to the rest of the world. And when you actually visit the places in the rest of the world where the Fire Nation has touched, everyone hates the Fire Nation. And the Fire Nation is this oppressive force trying to force, you know their ideas of what wealth and prosperity are for them. And, you know, Zuko has this awakening, which is, um, or or there's this, there's this overall sense of like, sometimes we need boundaries to balance us. Um, and we, we, you know, we, we need to respect each other's boundaries. That's a, that's a, I think idea that is freeing um, 
I definitely yeah. agree. Yeah. So whether whether or not like I don't I don't even know how I can't even engage you on a debate over like politics or you know anything like that. But yeah. if anyone who does hear this and like has an issue with communism or whatever you just said, know that like you can talk to people. Yeah. And like that's not it, it I think there is a there's a line that you can draw where it's like, okay, if you're telling me how to live, I have an issue with that. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where a lot, there's a lot of, I'll just leave it at this. There's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of kind of propaganda against mm-hmm. communism and socialism. Yeah. Fairly and unfairly. Um, so I can understand <laughs> why people would be, yeah. you know, a little turned off. Yeah. But, I think that it's important too to understand that how we are taught about other economic systems mm-hmm. um, in the U.S. is through the lens of a very highly highly functioning capitalist system that is rooted in white supremacy. So, amen. <laughs> uh, just take it with a grain of salt, and please be open to kind of learning about new things Mm -hmm. and history that we are not privy to in our educational systems if you're going to speak on it yeah nobody you know i'm not going to force you to believe in communism but if you happen to do your own research and find it interesting (laughs) that's great yeah so (laughs) but i'm also open to any conversation and um You know, if people are curious, I love to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, I understand that most people are not yeah. where I'm at. Um, so <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm understanding. Yeah. And I'll say to that, I think personally, I'm learning not to speak about things that I'm not an expert on. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I do not have the knowledge to speak correctly about political systems out mm-hmm. even even within the US I was not a government um, person I, I did poorly in my government class um, so like I will yeah, fully I admit I am not I am not really uh, able to speak in a tried and true sense on those things um, but mm-hmm. I can say that I'm an expert on you know myself and my life mm-hmm. and my experiences and my people in my life like I know um and and, you know that's just what I'm trying to do here with these conversations is um talk about what I know which is people and yeah I know quite a many different people um so in that vein of you know your learning process um yeah walking away from this chat that we've just had um what what are you what do you need to learn more of and what um what do you already know um i think i need to learn how to make more relationships with people that are um you know, conducive to me continuing to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at the moment, I honestly don't have a lot of those. Mm. Um, I mean, I do, but like... Yeah. um, You want to be around people who encourage you to learn new things. Yeah. Um, And not be afraid to kind of disconnect not not push people away that don't agree with me but kind of understand that i don't need to get their approval for things like that um Mm -hmm. yeah so just kind of working on on my actual physical relationships around me like i can do all the research and i can like you know watch all the movies but if i don't have actual relationships with people um dealing with these things that can help me not help me but like 
know. I don't. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, but like, yeah. I need to have that physical, tangible relationships with people, not yeah. just reading things. That's a that's a <laughs> um, interesting thing to try and do in the time of COVID, for sure. Well, yeah. But but no, it's yeah. Not I not an easy thing. I think that's a really good place to start or you know not even a place to start but that's a good place to be in your journey which is like looking at the people around you and deciding Mm -hmm. you know is this person does this person want me to learn more does this person want me to evolve and to come to understand the world in new ways or does this person keep me still and does it or does this person you know just continue to reinforce the ideas that I already have about yeah. life and what's going on. So, yeah. Anyway, that's pretty much our time. But I, I thank yeah. you for coming on and talking with me. Um, I hope you um, felt like this conversation was valuable. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. I look forward to seeing you next Wednesday when we do our next film group. Yeah. It'll be a good good time. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk <laughs> to you later. All right. Love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Listening back on this episode, I think we found the truth towards the end. We need to keep people in our lives that challenge us, who want us to evolve. Olivia and I met in eighth grade. Not all friendships last this long. I'd like to think part of that is how comfortable we are in being challenged by one another. I wish I could have recorded and shared the conversation we had after having the chance to listen back again. All of her questions for me were about how I was going to set about challenging myself in this journey. Was I putting in the work where I say I am? After all, the goal here for myself, I say, is to be transparent. Am I risking any comfort so I can better challenge myself? Am I uncomfortable enough? From my perspective, it feels like an easing into the pool rather than a cannonball. Was it meant to be either way? I can't tell. Still, what I'm taking from my new conversations with a lifelong friend is a consciousness of the change I might be resisting. Thank you for joining me if you've made it this far. From your friendly podcasting white boy, I love you. I look forward to learning more with you and from you. Until next time.